Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. In case you didn't know it, my name's Tom. Everybody say hi, Tom. I am glad that you're here, and I am humbled and honored. Um, You might not know this, but to have this amount of longevity in one spot is completely rare. Like, it is... People just in the church world don't do ministry united for this long. There's, I mean, even when you read the Bible, they like split and went different directions over if Barabbas should even be with them or not. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it is like, not Barabbas, Barnabas. Yeah, you, Mr. B, uh, whatever. Um, um, and so it's really, it's really an honor. And to watch, um, Alex and the team do what they did this weekend to pivot in that way and still make space for our students to have an incredibly safe, fun, spiritual encounter. It was just awesome to watch all those components happen. And so um, I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am to be a part of the story. Uh, and thanks for the guys that made food, G- Ginger. I, 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 the burgers. I, I didn't get a burger, just so you know. I got. I was at the back of the line, so all I got was hot dogs. So I don't know how the burgers were, but uh, n- nonetheless. Um, I'm supposed to tell you about this. Some of you over the last 20 years have been at camp when I've shared my testimony and my story, and it's pretty epic. And those who haven't, I'm going to give you like literally the cliff notes um, just real quick so that you know this, I was seven the first time I got high on drugs. Um, that was my life. I blamed a lot of things that were falling apart, which was everything on my dad. And so I planned when I was 14 that the only way I was going to be happy is if I shot my dad. I literally, from my drug supplier, I was 13 and 14 and I was selling drugs. I was pretty successful, had a lot of money, but I still was not happy with any of the stuff that was available to me. And so I thought, the only way I'm going to be happy is if he's eliminated. And so I ordered a 9mm gun from my drug supplier simply for the purpose of shooting my dad and eliminating him from the picture. Five days before that gun came, Jesus had a direct encounter with my life. That has been, it saved his life and changed the trajectory of my life And I've been ministering and telling that story about healing and bitterness and unforgiveness and transformation. I was high on an LSD acid trip I got from a Grateful Dead show. Some of you, I look around this room, you know who the Grateful Dead is. I can tell, like, we got this connection going on. I'm like, yep, go Jerry. We're not talking about the ice cream. Um, Anyways, Jesus changed my life and set me on a path of freedom, ministry, impact, transformation, and leadership. And so I wrote this book. It's called The Life You're Meant to Lead. And it's, uh, it's two, two parts all in one. So half of it, um, is, each chapter is a little bit of my story. And you'll, and you'll read like some nitty-gritty details I'd never even told anybody. My mom read that and she called me and she was like, are you sure that happened to you? I didn't even know that. And I'm like, I know, Mom, I kept that from everybody. But, um, uh, uh, and then leadership principles, because too often in our lives, we play the victim 
if my parents would have been, if my spouse was, if my church is, if my pastor would, and we play the victim. And really what I believe is that yours is the life you're called to lead. That instead of being the victim, be the first leader of your life. And um, obviously, as a pastor, I believe in pastors, I believe in coaches, I believe in counselors, but they are of no use if I don't take what they say and lead myself with those tools, right? And so this is, that's why it's called the life you're meant to lead. I literally only have 25 copies back there. This is 26, but this is Pastor Josh's free gift that I promised like two years ago. Yes, boom, there you go. There you go, that's yours. I'll sign it for you if you want, but that... That might be called defacing property. Um, anyways, Kristen's going to be in the back helping me with those. If, you, if we run out and sell out, which I hope so I don't have to take them back on the airplane with me, um, um, they are on Amazon and all that kind of stuff, but you could pick that up. I'm not here to talk about that. I was just asked to talk about that, and you could do that. I want to talk to you about our uncommon community. Before I jump into that, I want you to look around for a minute. Like, look to your right and left. Like, literally tilt your head. This is a little bit of a, you know, like, you gotta be, this is a weird place. I mean, honestly, like, when you look around, we, we don't belong in the room together. Like, there's no, there's no other place that all of us would fit in together. Literally, the world is built off this idea of putting us in a box and then dividing us by our boxes. And the world comes up with the most ridiculous boxes it can. I mean, the easy ones are like gender, race, right? Ethnicity, language. Oh, you don't belong in the same room with those kind of people. I don't know what those kind of people mean. But I guess I am one of those kind of people, right? Our economic upbringing, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up poor. Like, like I had to go into the reduced lunch line with a special colored ticket to get food at lunch because the government was paying for my food because our family couldn't pay for my lunches. And sometimes that was our only meal, right? And so, like, I just remember... I own a couple of, of businesses, and I'm just trying to grind, and the reason for that is because I don't want to get back into that line where I had to have the green ticket instead of the red ticket. Isn't that funny that what happened to me in third grade is a driving force in my life right now? Maybe I'm not the only one like that, but when we look around this room, you go, oh, education means we shouldn't be in the same room. There's some really smart people in this room, and, and then there's me. There's some of us that aren't so smart, right? We got master's degrees and doctorate degrees and then some who maybe got their GED if they were lucky. But we're all in this room together. Even though the world would put us all in these boxes that say we should hate each other or not be in the same club or not be in the same community, but we are in an uncommon community. And the thing that we have in common is meant to drive us closer, right? It's meant to drive us closer. So I'm going to unpack some scriptures because I love scripture, and, and we're going to get to some places here today. But here's what John chapter 13, Jesus says to us. Here we go. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. So now 
I'm giving you a new commandment. We've heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Everybody say love. You can't even say that word angry. There's something about those four letters that when you say love, hold on there, buddy. We're good. That when you say love, just like the way the L rolls off your L is for the way you look at, like, like love, you're just a boom. You're just immediately like, ah, you just, nobody grits their teeth and is like, I love you. And some of you have tried when you're fighting over Christmas gifts with your kids. You're like, oh, yes, I love you. But then you're like, you can't really say that angry. Jesus says, love each other. How? The standard. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. That we are called, that we are commanded to love each other. And we can sometimes be a dysfunctional family. In that, we don't always have to like each other. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves and we, we bump heads and we grind on each other, right? And we just, you know, but as iron sharpens iron, sometimes there's sparks. But we are commanded to love each other. We're commanded to love each other the way Jesus has loved us. How did Jesus love us? Jesus has loved us in spite of our flaws, Jesus has loved me seeing the best of who I would become, not my current self. Right? The scripture says it this way, that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus was nailed to the cross. And let me just tell you, my 14-year-old self wasn't a very joyful piece of work. I mean, literally, my teachers would be like, you're going to end up dead one day or in jail. Parents wouldn't let their kids hang out with me, right? They would just go the other direction and all kinds of stuff. And so when I think about that, I get so confused and I go, the condition I was in and the pain of the cross, what was the joy that made Jesus go to it? The joy is that he didn't die for who I was, he died for who I would become. That when he was nailed to the cross, he didn't see the dirty, rotten sinner I was. He saw the powerful man of God, son of God that I would become when I was surrendered to him. And so he was like, oh, I know Tommy's a mess right now, but wait till you see what I see. And so here's the thing. How do we love one another is that we see what God sees in each other. Oh, we could take cheap shots at each other all day long. I mean, the world like fills us with all kinds of things that we can take cheap shots at each other for whatever made up ridiculous reason it is. Oh, this generation, that generation, this one likes country music, right? Like there's all kinds of like there's all, and, and, and everything is meant to divide us where we're at politically, you know, if we're, if we're right or left, blah, blah, blah. You know, all this kind of stuff meant to divide us. But the reason we are a unique community is not because of our conformity to be like one another. 
Like the goal of coming to church isn't to get you to look like me and dress like me and be a mirror image of me, right? Because we look around this room and we go, hey, first of all, nobody wants to be that. Second of all, that's impossible. Unity is not conformity, that we all have to be the same. Actually, diversity is the expression of God. Not just diversity of skin and culture, but the diversity of giftings and the diversity of thought and the diversity of creativity and the diversity of passions and actions. All of the things that make us diverse way beyond our skin color, our ethnic upbringing or origin, right? It's way beyond that that makes us diverse. There's so many differences in this room and the unified difference is what is the expression of God. And so we are commanded to love one another seeing what God sees in each other. You don't find that at the country club or the jailhouse or the anywhere in between. Sometimes I don't even find that in my own family. I'm like, you, y'all are ridiculous. So what does Ephesians 3.20 say? This is, what, this is what Paul writes to us and challenges us about what God wants to do. Now to him, this is verse uh, 20, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably. Everybody say immeasurably. That means you can't measure it, you can't weigh it, you can't count it, you can't see it, you can't conceive it. He's able to do more than we can conceive, than we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. It's not just our diversity that makes us an uncommon community. It's that this is a place for all generations. See, here's one of the boxes that the world likes to put us in and divide us by. Oh, the older generation had their time and they're of no use now. That's a box the world wants to put us in, right? And the whole population control thing is like, oh, yeah, they're not contributing anymore. They've passed their heyday. They're out of their prime. And so let's just do away with them. And then, me either. And then it's the same ploy for the younger generation. It's so easy to poke fun at the younger generation. They don't have a work ethic. They're too soft. They're so easily offended. They get participation awards instead of actually having to work for it, blah, blah, blah. It's so easy to put them in this box. And so now all of a sudden, we've got these two generations saying neither one is worth anything, which is a total lie. Because how does God's power demonstrated in our life? It's demonstrated throughout all generations. Serving one another, loving one another, honoring one another, and seeing the value in each other. So let me just tell you this real quick. This is, this is free. This one isn't even in my notes, and then I gotta, then I gotta get to my notes. There is, there is so much power in young people to preach, to minister, to serve, to work signs and wonders and miracles. So much power. So much access from heaven. And there's so much power, knowledge, authority that comes from the older generation. So much wisdom. And so 
I don't know what boat you count yourself in. You may say you're old. You might say you're young. You might be old thinking that you're young. You might be young, but because you jump out of airplanes, I, I saw him earlier, but, so you feel old. Uh, <laughs> right? He, here's the thing. God's true power is demonstrated when all generations are serving together and serving one another. When we are, as Unite Church's language would be, when we're all in, all together. And so if you're not serving in a place yet, I'm even getting ahead of myself. But listen, we need some grandparents in kids' ministry and youth ministry. Because in a lot of ways, we have some parentless kids. And so we need you that way. We need some reverse mentors. And, and listen, I have this in my life. My, my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, I'm like, baby, we are now at a spot where daddy needs you to teach him some things. But I got to be humble enough to go, I can learn some things from these kids. And if I'm teachable at my age from a younger mentor, God's power can be demonstrated in my life. But woo, that takes some work. Because sometimes we're like, oh, you're going to tell me something? But the truth is Google didn't exist when I was growing up. It didn't exist, you know. In some regards, I'm so thankful. I would have gotten in so much trouble if the technology we had today was when, ooh, Jesus, help us. So how do we walk in this uncommon community? I got just a few things I'm going to talk to you about, and then I'm going to get you out of here on time so that you go, Pastor Josh, bring that guy back. You always go way over when he comes under, right? So here we go. I'll get you to the restaurant in time. It won't be good, but it will be brief, right? Like, like that's my promise to you. So what makes us an uncommon community? Number one, we have to have spiritual social awareness. Not just social awareness. That's like a fab talking point today of being socially aware. But we have to have spiritual social awareness. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says it this way. That they, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? They were growing in the knowledge of God. Last week, Zach talked about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is that knowledge, right? It's that intimacy with God. It's that drawing in and that 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 happens by gathering together in fellowship with one another, developing the teaching and the discipleship of who Jesus is begins this knowledge journey and understanding why should we fear God. And for a long time in my life, I had no fear of God because I had no understanding of why I should be afraid. And then when you encounter him, you're like, oh, he is fiercely gentle. I know that sounds like a paradox or a contradiction, but when you know him, you understand it. So they devoted themselves to the teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. And all, everybody say all. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give uh, to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple and they broke bread right in their homes. Here's Here's the thing. They journeyed together 
in such a way that they had spiritual, social awareness of each other's needs. See, I know that some in this room, not you, but people that look like you, come through those doors a little late and leave a little early for the purpose of anonymously. I tried to be smart. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's in the book, yeah. We like to be unknown because we hide out in the corners and we do that kind of thing. But listen, the power of God and what makes us uncommon is that we actually engage and are plugged into our care network and our care groups. Like when we understand that to see God's power fully released in our life, here you are, plain jumper. Were you just gone and you snuck back in? Yes, I called you out. Well, sorry, I'm sorry. Dang it. So embarrassing. Okay. The way that we meet each other's needs is actually being in community. That when I know you intimately enough that I can tell your countenance is off a little bit, then I can say, hey, bro, what's really going on? Hey, sis, you seem a little off today. What's the issue? What's happening? Right? And this is what they were doing in the book of Acts where they were meeting together and it says they were meeting each other's needs. Some were selling property. They were giving. They were doing and they were meeting each other's needs because they were in uncommon community where they were aware when a marriage was in trouble. They were aware when someone was having some issues with their kids. They were aware when the pressure of life was getting too heavy to carry on their own. And how does that happen through the care network? And so I'm here to tell you that the reason church is an uncommon community is because we, I, have to choose to engage differently like you don't engage anywhere else. You're not that person at work on the job site. You're not that person when you get around your extended family at the family reunion. That, that only happens in this spiritual community when there's spiritual social awareness, and it's a give and take. I have a group of guys I journey with. We call it Forge, which is, uh, we stole it from the youth group here. And we forged knives in the fire. We went to this uh, knife smith, uh, and we were forging in this torch fire that was like 2,000 degrees, melting our eyebrows and lashes off, and it was epic. But here's what he told us. It was really two steps. It took us two days, but... We had to put our metal, our raw materials, into the fire of the forge, heat it up, and then we had to pound it out. And we couldn't do soft pounds. It wasn't like wimpy, 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 like tink, tink, tink. We had to do like full-on Thor hammer. Bam! Bam! I just had a railroad spike. And we just had to just boom. And then the final thing was through the shaping, we had to go over to the grinder and then we had to grind it out to get the final shape to it. The thing about the grinder is the grinder was really unsafe because when you're grinding, uh, sparks and metal shards were just flying out all over, like shrap metal was just flying out everywhere, and it was getting in our beards, and it was like we had to put up a barrier because one guy was on the grinder, and it was just shooting flames <laughs> to the other guy, like hitting him in the ear and the side of the face. I took pictures of it. Just before the guy put up the guard, I'm like, wait, just one more second. 
I have to take a picture of this because this is how men die. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. But the, he told us right off the bat, this is what he said. The more time you spend in the forge, the less time you spend in the grinder. And immediately God was like, the more time you spend in that community with me and that uncommon community, that uncommon connection, authentic relationships, the more time you spend actually authentically connecting, the less the grind of life has to shape you. And we know life is a grind. We know life is a grind. And that's going to happen. But the more we spend in the forge of community, in the forge of the care network, in the forge of actually having spiritual relationships with each other, the less life has to grind us into the shape that we're supposed to be for God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So it's about this spiritual social awareness that we understand when each other has a need. Here's what Galatians 6.10 says. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everybody but especially to the family of faith. Yes, we should be doing good. Yes, we should be serving, but we put this community first, which is what makes us unique and uncommon. Number two, there should be spiritual peer pressure. I know that sometimes peer pressure is considered bad because it's like, oh, if, if your friends are gonna jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Well, mom, I was the first one to jump. And when you're in Alaska, yes, that's what you do, right? We die. No. I don't know if John's in the room today. I haven't seen him, but John literally saved mine and Rick's life this week. We got thrown off the white water rapid boat, and I came up for air, and what I hit was the bottom of the boat, and I'm scrounging and trying to find air, and I don't know which way is up, and then there's John reaching over the boat. Whoom, pulled me right in over on top of him, and I'm like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but here's what happened, and I know this happened to everybody. I'm gonna call myself out on it, but I know. We were terrified in those class five rapids, but because of peer pressure, no one was gonna crack first. I mean, literally, there were times where we were, like, completely under because the, I mean, we were, like, right at water table level where any higher, they're like, we're not sure you can go. It's a little high, right? It's a little sketchy. And I'm like, this is what I live for. <laughs> or die for, whatever. <laughs> but, like, the butterflies and the, I promised Zach I was not going to make any poop references because I heard every week, Pastor Josh makes a poop reference. Oh, he lied to me. It's him. I'm not making any. But your stomach is rumbling because you're terrified and you're scared. And you're just like, I don't know. What did I, I paid for this. I signed up for this. But I'm not going to crack around these men. No. <gasps> this peer pressure, right? Here's what Hebrews 10, 24 says. So let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse, but let me tell you, spurring ain't comfortable for the horse. 
And let me tell you about spurring. So my job, your job, is that we spur one another on. Here's the thing about spurs. When you're kicking that side of the horse, it's the unguarded, unprotected side of the horse, which you can only get access to through intimacy and actually knowing somebody. If you approach a horse incorrectly, the first thing it's going to do is try to protect its side. It's going to keep you positioned away from it in such a way to protect that side. Because he's like, oh, if you're behind me, I'll kick you. If you're in front of me, right, like not quite like a moose would, but I've seen him kick forward too. It's not comfortable. But the spur works because it digs into the side that's unprotected. And it's done in an uncomfortable way, but it's done for the purpose of harnessing the power of the horse. I want you to get that. Because the motive behind spurring the horse isn't to be a mean guy. Isn't to be antagonistic. It's not meant to be macho. In fact, if you try to macho a horse, it's going to let you know who's really in charge pretty quick. But the purpose of spurring that horse is to harness its power to accomplish something. Whether you're riding the trail or you're, you're towing something, right? whatever that is, right? The purpose of spurring one another on, which can only happen through community, which can only happen through connection and intimacy with one another, that I'm poking you in uncomfortable ways for the purpose of harnessing the power of God in your life. But I can't really do that if I don't know you. Again, this happens through our care groups. This happens through being connected with, the, with one another. This happens by having real, authentic relationship. You, if you haven't grown in a while in your life, maybe you don't really have relationships, authentic friendships in your life. This is way more than catching a beer with the guys on Friday night. where you just stay macho and you don't crack that you're scared you're on a class five rapid. Let us spur one another on towards good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, getting to know each other, journeying together, doing life as some have done in the habit, but encouraging one another even more as we see the day approaching. Okay, last thing. Yes, I'm, I, I'm like right on time. Beautiful. Jesus is good to me. We have uncommon connection. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, you're, you're probably familiar with this. It says this, just as a body through one has many parts, all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. What does this mean? This is, the, this is the uncommon community. This is why baptisms over here are so important because we're an uncommon community. This is why giving and tithing, which by the way, biblically speaking, we, we start our giving at tithe or 10%. That's where we start trusting God. Then we can go up from there, but we tithe not because it's the spiritual mandate that I have to give all this money, but rather because I walk in a covenant community with everybody else in this room. 
And there is a spiritual tying together that happens through the obedience of giving. And we start actually rejoicing when somebody wins because you know you're a part of that through giving. And there's an actual sorrow when somebody loses whatever that is because you're a part of them through this covenant of tithing. It's way more important than just giving money. Honestly, giving money is the cheapest way to be generous. It's it's the cheap out way. You're like, well, I don't really want to go serve. Maybe I can just write a check to get out of it. Right, Right? It's like the cheapest way to be generous. Tithing is not about being generous. Tithing is about saying, I'm a part of this uncommon community and I tithe because I walk in a God-ordained covenant relationship with the people that are a part of this church. And I'm united with them in a special way and I'm connected with them just like limbs are connected to the body, just like fingers are connected to the body. If there's anybody in here that's lost a finger or a limb, you know how important that every one of them are. And so let me just tell you this really quickly. This place is incomplete without you. You hold that significant of a role and responsibility. I know it's easy to look around and you're like, I don't know if I fit in this place. I don't know if I belong here. Because we get all a little insecure, right? And we're like, everybody has it all together except me. Everybody's marriage is great except mine. Everybody's kids are perfect but mine. Everybody's bank account's awesome but mine, right? Like all these problems that we have, we they isolate us, right? Everybody's got this goody two-shoe story except for this scandalous joker. Right? So like our insecurities pop up and try to isolate us from the community. But I'm here to tell you that we are not whole without you. Okay, last story. Last story, because I just think it's funny. I married a pastor's daughter. Like a super straight-laced pastor. I can't even just tell you how ridiculously, like, rigid and hardcore, and I'm like, oh, buckle up, Papa. Because I put the fun in dysfunction. And you know what happened? We're getting ready to celebrate 24 years. Yeah. And I have rattled their cage so much I don't fit in in so many ways. So many ways I don't fit into that group. I mean, they're all singers. They all, like, wear suits to church. You know, like, all ki- like I can't even tell you how many ways. But here's the thing that my in-laws write to me. Every anniversary, we can't believe how you love our girls because I have two daughters, right? So it's their daughter and two granddaughters. Wow, we didn't think you fit in. Wow, you've like really ruffled some feathers. 
Because I would tell my father-in-law how much I really like being married. (laughs) To his daughter. He didn't know how to take that. But when it came down to it, it was like, oh, even though we weren't prepared for that, even though we weren't ready for that, even though we're not used to that, the way you love, we couldn't have asked for more. And here's where I'm saying is that maybe you don't fit in, which is such a lie. such a lie of the enemy on your life that whatever your story is, whatever your background, whatever your dysfunction is, wherever you feel like a failure in your life, it's literally why you belong. Because we're all in that boat. Just the lie of the enemy wants to try to put us in a box and separate us from everybody else. It's his scheme. From the Garden of Eden, It was to put them in a box, cover them up, and separate them from God. We, I, am not complete without you. Josh and Joni are not complete without you. You are not complete without you. And so when we love in an uncommon community, we're not so concerned that somebody took our seat in the church or our parking spot in the church. I've been here for 40 years and this is the chair I sit in. Not you, but people that look like you. And so here's my point today and how the worship team's getting ready to lead us in a worship and I'm gonna wrap this up. And this is what... I want to challenge you with heaven's plan, the scheme of God, the strategy of God is that we love one another in an uncommon way. Jesus literally said, the world's going to know I'm real because this place is uncommon. Because this place doesn't seem like you should fit in but we're not complete without you. This place doesn't seem like we should all be in the same room together because there's all kinds of things that divide us, but we're not complete without each other. And because of that love, the world will go, whoa, wait a minute. That's what I've been looking for. A place where I can let my guard down. A place where somebody actually cares about what's happening in my life. And it's God's mandate that we walk in this uncommon community and that we love one another. So as we worship, here's how I just want to end today. Pastor Josh is going to come and lead us however he wants to. He's the boss. We're going to worship God for a moment. And then I want us to take some time today and just pray for and love on each other. That our response, our altar response, is that we make sure no one leaves this place unloved today and every day. Can we do that? Worship team, will you lead us?
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.